This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Happy Wednesday evening and welcome to Halftime Adjustments. I'm Albie Oxenreiter. As usual, on the other end is our partner from BKPittsburghSports.com, Dayan Kovacevic. And, well, how are you, Dayan? We are approaching the point at which we can talk about all sports in good faith and confidence. Can you talk about how about just covering them? You know, that's been the great part. Um, you know, no complaints on this end. Being back at the ballpark uh, before long, being back at, at, at Heinz Field uh, for the Steelers training camp once they begin uh, padded practices in the middle of next month. Uh, actual games happening. Um, you know, uh, the challenges are still huge and they're still ahead. Um, as the past week has proven here, but it, it's looking like real sports and it, it's looking like it'll make it. Yeah, and we're very excited about what's coming up on Saturday with the Penguins on Channel 11. But let's start with the Pirates. Uh, the opener's out of the way. The home opener's out of the way. Uh, they haven't had any problems on the COVID front, fortunately. Uh, they have had a few problems with their bullpen, although the Tuesday night game was certainly uh, something to get positive about. They gave one away on Monday night, but they got it right back on Tuesday night. And Nick Birdie getting it done and sealing the deal. But in a general sense, let's talk about the bullpen woes for the Pirates, something you talked about last week as a big question going into the season. What are your feelings now that they've played a handful of games? Well, the, the big question turned into, uh, you know, a, a really big cringeworthy question over the past few days because uh, you have Keone Kella out, obviously, with uh, the – he had a coronavirus – a positive test was also being held out because they still can't really figure out what's wrong with him um, and whether or not it's positive, negative, how to get that all corroborated. It's a, like a lot of things in a, in a novel coronavirus, you're going to have, it's the first time through the lineup, so to speak, for the virus. So there's a lot of uncertainty attached to a lot of situations and Kella's up there with them. And then Kyle Crick, goes down with a shoulder injury. Didn't look like himself at all. Now that's explained. Clay Holmes, who pitched so well in St. Louis, out of all people, a guy like you weren't expecting that uh, to, to do well after the kind of season that he had last year for the Pirates, he goes down with what they're calling a forearm injury. That's usually baseball euphemism for elbow. Um, I mean, they're running out of arms, Albie. Uh, we saw Miguel Del Pazzo come in last night from Altoona. No. See you, Miguel. <laughs> Never again, hopefully. Um, there's some challenges ahead here. You're right. Nick Birdie looked great, though, didn't he? Yeah, and I think that that's the positive, that through the course of the season, and, and, and because for the reasons you've mentioned, uh, the bullpen is certainly a, a concern, not only in what's been happening, but what we've seen on the field. Um, Kyle Crick, before, be, before it was, uh, you know, he, he went away with an injury, um, had trouble getting out of a couple innings. So, but, but yeah, Nick Birdie certainly gives them, at least for a night, something to be positive about on that front. And yeah, the team in general getting back, uh, right back at it after losing that disappointing game on Monday night. So I think well, that's they've, Yeah, there's been some battle. I mean, if you go back to the opener in St. Louis, they came back and nearly tied that one. Uh, in, in the ninth inning, probably should have tied it. Um, and then you, you have the, the huge rally uh, last night uh, to beat the Brewers coming down from four runs and that Adam Frazier hits the two-run bomb over the Clemente wall. Um, 
they've got some things. And this is kind of what you and I have been talking about here for months now, going back to the original spring training. They have some players who are talented. They have some players who have upside. Uh, they also have some good starting pitching. And I think that's where maybe this bullpen situation can be mitigated to an extent. Think about this. If you go back to uh, the piggyback start, and for anybody who doesn't know what that means, that's a spring training term that's now all of a sudden become a regular season term. It means you go into a game having two starters, basically. One is going to go for uh, just a few amount of innings, and then the next one's going to come in and quote-unquote piggyback after that first guy. Uh, Stephen Brault and Chad Cool were one. Uh, yeah. Mitch Keller and then JT Brubaker came in and did that in St. Louis. Um, that's one way to mitigate bullpen usage. It's a way to cut down on bullpen innings. The first two times the Pirates have tried that this season, they've been successful. Uh, here's a crazy stat for you, Albie. One full turn through this rotation now, because they've played five, five games. And their ERA as a starting staff, if you count the piggyback guys, I did this myself, is pie. And yes, I remembered from college what pie is. It was 22 divided by seven was somehow where I ended up with this number. But it's 3.14, blah, 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 into infinity. And that actually, that figure is seventh best in the majors one time through the rotation. Uh, So I think that's encouraging. But where are you going to find these arms, Albie? Who are they? Where are they? Yeah, and if you look at the first five games, I mean, there are some, you know, there are some things to feel real good about. I think Colin Moran is one. Uh, I think the starting pitching is another. Uh, I think uh, just seeing Nick Birdie go in there and, and, and get that his first save is a big deal. And Chad Cole, I think that that is a real feel-good story. And I don't think anybody watching that game could have been happier to see him go out and do what he did. Uh, he was so effective and to be honest, what impressed me the most about Cool's outing uh, the other night is that he, no pun intended, kept his cool. Uh, he is a guy who is so wound up, so emotional when he pitches. Uh, we, if you, People who go back to two years ago, the last time he was pitching for the Pirates, remember he was one of the most animated guys out there on the mound, and he just stayed calm. Uh, he stayed within himself. How much he was controlling that, I don't know, but it's not just him. Birdie can Nick Birdie comes back from three surgeries, and he's throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh, there are a lot of good stories on this team. Albie, my concern is that they're going to blow leads, you know? And that's yeah. – we saw Monday night. That's so devastating to everything else that you're doing. Yeah, no question about that. All right, thanks for your thoughts on that. More of halftime adjustments coming up, including the Penguins getting set to play those real games in Toronto. That and more when Dan and I return right after Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. And, Dan, I know you were parked in front of the television set on Tuesday late afternoon as the Penguins played the Flyers in their only exhibition game leading up to the real games that start Saturday night. Um, I had a real great feeling watching that game. I liked the setup. I liked the tarps around the early part, the, the low part of the seats around the rink. Uh, I liked the piped-in crowd noise, although I think that maybe the piped-in crowd noise favored the Flyers a little bit. But <laughs> your thoughts on the exhibition game and what's coming up for the Penguins? Well, the hockey itself, predictably, wasn't all that spectacular. Um, both the Penguins and the Flyers 
uh, went into that. And I know the Penguins were, were telling us in Cranberry when we were still covering the team that they really wanted to enter this one with a playoff mindset or nothing of the kind materialized. Um, there wasn't the slightest bit of body contact. Now, in fairness, when the Penguins and Flyers met in the regular season, they weren't hitting either. These are just very different teams now, both of them, than what they used to be in the past, especially the Flocks. So to me, that the, the quality or the caliber of play was disappointing. The Penguins' power play was obviously just a complete mess. Um, you know, but here's the thing. All 24 teams are entering with the exact same set of circumstances. Um, Montreal, if it's possible, looked that much worse in their exhibition. Uh, so I have a feeling that when people watch game one, uh, it's some of it's going to be about the novelty, about the, like you said, the tarps and the, the artificial crowd noise and trying to pick up what they're saying and, and everything else. But a lot of it's just going to be a, gee, really, this is playoff hockey. It, it's not going to be what you expect, certainly not from a playoff, but not just from an atmospheric standpoint, but also from the, from what we see on the ice. Yeah, the quality of play. I think that's one of the downsides in general of even looking ahead to football. And certainly in the case of hockey, you have guys coming back after a long layoff. And even if they've had camp, it's difficult to simulate that game action, that game speed. And uh, they won't have any choice but to do that. But everybody's on the same, the same yeah. level. Everybody's dealing with it. But you're right. The quality of play certainly could do. No, LB, LB, I'll, I'll throw in a baseball example, too. I mean, if you look at, look at the Pirates and the Brewers, the two teams that are in town right now, Christian Yelich is one for his first 20 for Milwaukee. Christian Yelich. Right. Okay? I mean, this is, this is impossible. Brian Reynolds was over 13 until breaking out for a couple of hits last night. Uh, you don't just snap your fingers and get everything back. You know, there's a lot of preparation and a lot of hard work that goes into this. And in the case of the Penguins and hockey, the biggest concern that I've had all along, and the reason, one of the reasons I, I loved the way Mike Sullivan conducted his camp the way he did, is that he put a focus on playing in tight quarters because you can't simulate that. You can't, uh, you can't do that in drills. You certainly can't do that by yourself in a quarantine. Uh, so he had the Penguins playing in, in, in little quadrants on the rink, working with lots of bodies around them, lots of sticks, lots of traffic. But until you go out there and you do it in game one against Montreal, it's not going to mean anything. And the concern I have there from the Pittsburgh standpoint what if the Canadians take game one, Albie? Yeah, right. And now you, you got to beat Carey Price three times in four games. Um, I don't care how great the imbalance is, and I think it is, between the Pittsburgh and Montreal skater rosters. It's not in goal, and goal can be a great equalizer. No question, yeah, especially in a shorter series. And as you mentioned, if they lose game one, uh, certainly there would be some pressure on the Penguins. From a fan standpoint, and, and pull yourself out of your perspective for a second, and – Talk about Saturday night and how great this will be for Pittsburgh, for the fans, uh, for hockey in Pittsburgh in general. All eyes will be on Channel 11 and all eyes will be on this game. It's, it's, it's not only the first game back after a long layoff, official game, but it's also a playoff game. It's prime time. I mean, it has all the makings of a great, of a great holiday atmosphere around Pittsburgh. Yes. And hockey fans watch hockey. That is the thing that, uh, that stands out for me the most about this format. Um, going back 
back to my childhood and, and being surrounded by people who love the game, who play the game, who participate in it at a lot of levels. When the Stanley Cup playoffs start, we don't just watch our team. We watch every game that's available. And if you look at the, the way the NHL has structured these schedules between Toronto and Edmonton, Albie, there's going to be hockey on for 12, 13 hours a day. And hockey fans won't just be tuning into WPXI when the Penguins game starts. They're going to be watching it all day. And then they're going to watch the other games the next day all day long because that's how hockey fans roll. It's a little bit of a different breed. Um, it's, it's good for the sport to be back. Uh, yeah, I think it's good for sports in general to be back. Um, there's a lot of parts of this process that I haven't liked uh, that I'm not in favor of, but one way or another, there's going to be games plural this weekend. Well, and uh, you know, I, I kind of compared it when you're watching on television, the fact that there are no fans there, anybody watching uh, is, is anybody watching the game is watching from afar and, and, that kind of has an Olympic feel to it or a world championships feel. It's, it's, and it's, I, I think there's an added, uh, the, the fact that they're all in this bubble, there's just that there's an intrigue, I think that goes with this. And I think it will add to the, uh, sit down on the lazy boy at home and uh, get ready for a great Saturday night. I, I think it's going to, you know, despite the fact that there might be a dip in the quality of play, I think no, it's going to be a, a great night. That's a, that's a, actually a great point. I hadn't thought of that. When you think about what the, the, the televised atmosphere, such as it was of what was shown yesterday with all those, those banners draped that were covering the first tier of seats right. uh, in, in Toronto, it did kind of have a, that Olympic feel that international feel and which by the way, I mean, a lot of those arenas aren't filled uh, for those Olympics. I've covered a few of them. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's sports. I'll be, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that, that's the word we've been waiting to hear uh, actual games. All right. Thanks day. And we're going to come back and talk about football returning that slow build to contact practices later in the month of August. When we come back on halftime adjustments. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. We've talked about the Pirates. We've talked about the Penguins. And now the Steelers and that slow build to what will be an unusual season. Uh, we talked on Zoom on Wednesday afternoon with Randy Finkner. And I think that you're, you're, you're starting to get that, uh, that feel, that football feel. They're in training camp, but day is all about COVID-19 testing. Um, however, when they get back and when they get back to the practices, and particularly the contact practices, uh, that will really culminate what, what has been building up in football. But uh, what do you expect as they return uh, to a very unusual training camp? Well, the number one thing uh, that I'll be looking for once, you know, once we're in Heinz Field, once there are full pads practices, and again, that's supposed to be August 17th, uh, barring any other changes, is how much or really how little you're going to see any surprises. Uh, this is not going to be one of those training camps where you're going to go, hey, look at Anthony McFarland, the fourth-round running back out of Maryland. He's really showing well. Uh-uh. I mean, that's not to say he won't ever touch a football. But when you have to get James Conner ready for the season and Jalen Samuels ready for the season uh, and Benny Snell ready for the season, you're not going to be fine in a lot of reps for Anthony McFarland. 
Mike Tomlin said not all that long ago, he actually counted the number of snaps that they've lost over the course of this shutdown. Well, that's now magnified many times over by not having any of what was supposed to be five preseason games now is zero preseason games. Uh, what was supposed to be a, a camp that would start the way it usually did in the th late in the third week of July is now really not going to begin in earnest until the middle of August. And yet the regular season schedule is the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah that's, I mean, you're that's not a, messing around. That's you're, an interesting you're, you're not, point. I, you know, when I look at this, I think my, my first, the first thing that comes to mind is, is what we've been saying, that everybody's in the same situation. However, the Steelers are in a situation for, where they're waiting for their franchise quarterback to throw a legitimate pass. Everybody's waiting for that and wondering how will he be. So the Steelers uh, maybe are hurt by the fact that preseason and particularly the preseason games have been removed maybe more than any other team because of that the first time Ben is going to be in a game situation will be the opener of the regular season think about that yeah I I'll, I mean I'm not as much moved by that because I mean if you, let's go to let's swing back to normal times if there's five preseason games what would Ben have played in those? true yeah uh he would have played a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half of the fourth game. He wouldn't right. have played it all in the Charlotte game. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll agree with you about Ben and his timing, but it'll be more from the standpoint of the fact that they don't have padded practices until August 17. The first, these, he would have started in Latrobe throwing passes four or five days ago. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it would have been around July 24, 25, when the camps would have opened at St. Vincent College, and he would have been out there. You know, even if it's just light tosses, he would have been getting to know guys. He would have been discussing routes, discussing mistakes that they make. The way, you know, you've seen him out there, the way he likes to point out little things. None of that's going on right now. None right. of that's going on right now. Uh, so I don't think it's as much about the games, but he's losing reps. Uh, he's losing a chance to connect. Uh, really on a regular basis for the first time with Deontay Johnson, who I think is going to be critically important for the Steelers, uh, trying to build Juju Smith-Schuster's confidence and performance back up. Uh, how about hooking up with James Washington? Uh, ben, you know, we saw Mason Rudolph do that, not just in college, but also in training camps, but we need to see Ben do that. Uh, how about Eric Ebron coming in and trying a two-tight end set? Uh, those are things that you want to see Ben be able to practice and the offense to get into a rhythm. They're not going to have a chance to do that. But as we were saying about baseball and about hockey, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's in the same boat. I can promise you that opening weekend of the NFL season will no, look no prettier than what we see Saturday from the NHL or what we've seen these past five days in Major League Baseball. Uh, but the fact that they're coming back this week uh, with COVID testing and the fact that they will be – uh, essentially doing walkthroughs um, until they go to pads, full pads, full contact on August 17th. Uh, it is a slow build for the NFL, no doubt about that, because by the time they go to full contact practices, they're only about roughly three weeks away from the start of the regular season. So that's going to be a very interesting sprint to the, to the regular season uh, debut. Oh, it is. And, and I'm, we, we've only been talking about the offense, but that applies to the defense, too. How do you replace Javon Hargrave uh, on the defensive line? Are you shuffling defensive line men in and out to try to protect 
an older Cam Hayward and a, and a guy who gets hurt an awful lot and Stefan to it. Uh, there's a lot of different things that the Steelers have to do on that side of the ball as well. A lot of different challenges. Uh, there's timing issues that relate to the secondary too. I mean, again, how do you, this, how do you practice these things? You know, how, how do you simulate them? Uh, it, it's a very different time right now, but at the same time, I look at the Steelers' schedule, the early part of the schedule, and they should get off to a good start, and they have to find a way to try to put that uh, pedal to the metal. Well, I think if uh, – now, this is a very general statement. If Ben is able to come back and be even close to the old Ben, I think this is a serious contender for a Super Bowl, despite the fact that Baltimore and, and Kansas City are two formidable teams in the AFC. I think the Steelers, if Ben is okay – uh, they will make a run. I don't think there's any question. If he's not, they won't. Here's my magic number is 30. If the Steelers' defense, which had 38 takeaways last year, ends up with 30 this year, and if Ben throws 30 touchdown passes, they're at least going to be contending right up there with Kansas City and everybody else to get to the Super Bowl. All right. Back with our final thoughts on halftime adjustments right after this. And welcome back for our final minute here on Halftime Adjustments. Dan, quick question for you. How has it been for you watching games without fans? Uh, personally, how do, you, how do you take to that? Uh, you get used to it. Uh, out in St. Louis, it got a little comical early on. Uh, one of the Cardinals hit a foul ball. I mean, it was not even close. It was 30 rows up. And the crowd thing, the artificial crowd thing at Bush Stadium lets out this huge roar. It's like, okay, normally in St. Louis, you have maybe the most educated fans in all of baseball. And here they are, woohoo, going nuts for this, <laughs> you know, this routine lazy foul ball. It, it's different, but you get used to it, and it's a lot better than the silence, that's for sure. Yeah, I personally don't have a problem with the crowd noise, and, and I think you have to do what you have to do. But you said the most important thing a few minutes ago. It's sports and it's oh here. yeah thanks mm -hmm. dan appreciate no your time all right that's it for halftime adjustments i'm albie oxenrider for dan kabachevich bye-bye <laughs>